0: Hello and welcome to Never Seen It. This is a podcast where we watch movies that we haven't seen. My name is Trent. I'm sitting here with my wife, Betsy. Hello, Trent. Hi, Betsy. It's a special day. Is it? Yeah, it's my birthday.
1: Well, not today, but the day this episode is coming is out is the week is of my birthday. Your birthday. And
0: Betsy, we are going to watch a new movie that neither of us have seen. We teased it in one of our Never Screaming episodes. It's going to be a big one. Betsy, we're watching Apocalypse Now.
1: This is your pick because it it's your pick. birthday yes. and you decided it was time for a big I wanted to one. see a
0: big movie and I'll, I'll be honest, I know that this is a dude-ass dude movie and <laughs> I don't care. I love dude-ass dudes. <laughs> They're my favorite kinds of dudes. They're the dutiest of dudes. Yes. Betsy, I haven't seen this movie, but... You kind
1: of have. So I don't count this movie as one I have seen. I have seen, let's call it 70% of this movie. Okay. When I was in college, I went into one of my friend's dorm rooms and she was in the process of watching it. And she had already gotten maybe 20, 30 minutes into the movie. And I sat and I watched the movie with her. Mm -hmm. But then I had to go. I don't remember the exact circumstances. All I know is... We got to the part where Marlon Brando shows up, and that was the end of my experience. So there's still, like, half hour, 40 minutes or better after that event mm-hmm. that I haven't watched. And I have just never gone back and picked up this movie and finished it. I don't know yeah. why.
0: And I haven't seen any of it, honestly. I I, I I know some of the things that have come out of this movie. I know a few people that were in this movie. I know who made the movie, but... Like, from beat to beat, I don't have a clue what exactly happens here.
1: This is one of those movies that makes a lot of people's lists of, you know, greatest movies of all time, greatest movies of the 70s, uh, top-tier Ford Coppola movies. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of categories it falls into, and there are a lot of people in this movie that have gone on to have really big careers. Huge stars in this movie. So there's a lot of reasons people watch this and continue yeah. to watch this and talk about it. Yeah,
0: and you know, coming from my perspective, I haven't seen a whole lot of Vietnam movies. There were a ton of them because there's a lot of stories that came out of that. And this is just a few years post-Vietnam War. Yeah, 1979 is when this came out. And I also get that we were kind of talked about this before. I get this movie confused with a lot of the other movies that came out around the same time. Like it's this and it's full metal jacket. And and Platoon Platoon. came out a few years after this. Yeah, and a lot of people like got their start. Like Oliver Stone kinda got his start with Platoon, and that came from his own perspective. He served in Vietnam. But yeah, I I get these movies all confused, and it's because I haven't seen any of them.
1: Right. It's not a genre we seek out. We don't watch a lot of war movies. No,
0: like the one Vietnam movie that really sticks out to me is that Mel Gibson movie We Were Soldiers and it's just and I think we've talked about this before it's just because of the the fucking like visceral nature of the the depictions of war and in the injuries I'm not going to get into it here but good god
1: Right, and that movie was made in the 2000s.
0: Early 2000s. Where they
1: could get away with that. This being in 1979, I don't know how hyper-violent, how graphic it's going to end up being, Yeah, because they were still tiptoeing the waters of how far could they push cinema in 1979. Obviously, the line that pretty much everybody could quote from this movie is, I love the smell of napalm in the morning, so you know there's going to be some depictions of war in this. Of course, it's a war movie. And as far as, like... Like, the other
0: people in it, we, we mentioned that there's all these big stars. You mentioned Brando. I don't think I've ever seen a Brando movie. Straight up.
1: That tracks. Yeah. I would have to look into it, but I can... I'm running through his filmography yeah. in my head. Never seen Godfather,
0: never seen Streetcar, none of that Superman.
1: stuff. Superman. None of it. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. Uh, Martin Sheen is, I think, the star here. I think it's funny that you have picked two movies with members of that family in this month. (laughs) Okay. I don't know if you've even thought about the fact that you did that. Nope, not at all. (laughs) But yes, Martin Sheen is in this. Uh, The one who says the iconic line is Robert Duvall.
0: Duvall, yeah, yeah.
1: And there's at least two other people that I know you will recognize. One that has a major part. One that is not pre-fame but certainly somebody who you will recognize who is barely in this movie. Now, I say that, and I don't know if it's one of those, this is only in the extended cut. We are watching the theatrical cut. Yeah,
0: just for full context here, we are watching the original cut. We're not doing the, the extended cut because, number one, it's super fucking long. And number two, I want to have the original reaction here.
1: Yeah. So there is somebody else I know connected to this movie, but I will reserve that thought just because I yeah. don't know if there is a difference between their presence being or not being included depending on the version yeah and
0: again I I don't really know anything else about this movie who's in it what happens here other than what I just said
1: so the thing I know is the main plot is Marlon Brando I don't I think he's like a defector or something okay. he is out in the jungle he's got this like cult following. And Martin Sheen is sent to dispatch him from this world. Oh. I think. Oh. Something to that extent. Basically, he is the MacGuffin. They are looking for this guy. Mm. What happens when they get there? What happens that leads up to that? What happens after that? I... Honestly, don't remember because I watched it 20 years ago and not even in its entirety. And
0: you said that Brando doesn't even show up until late, late in the movie. Oh yeah,
1: he's late in the movie. That's a
0: big, big name to have for your movie in 1979.
1: We'll talk at length about Marlon Brando in this movie when we have finished watching Because I haven't seen this, but I've heard stories. Fair enough. All right. Well, we're going to go watch
0: Apocalypse Now. We're going to also have to talk about the fucking name of this movie. We'll get to that later. We'll be right back. Returned from the heart of darkness, Betsy. Holy shit! <laughs> wow. Uh, what did you think?
1: So the Vietnam War is bad, right? Ba-
0: ba- bad. It was bad. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I realized that Francis Ford Coppola is adapting a book into yeah. a movie, but one usually doesn't make a movie like this if you don't agree with the content.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, yeah, I didn't remember like. Anything from this movie. It was also I, like,
0: like 20 years it, ago. It was genuinely
1: this. almost 20 years ago. Yeah. I just remember the feeling that I was very interested in it. It was very interesting. Mm-hmm. And that holds true now, too. This movie is captivating for being two and a half hours long, mm-hmm. and there are longer versions of this. Much longer, yeah. At the very, very beginning, I'm like, oh, Lord, is this going to be, like, super slow and super dry? And it is, but also it isn't. It holds your attention
0: with an iron grip. Like, I was very interested to see how this movie was was going to end because it's kind of two different movies. At the beginning, Martin Sheen is this one character who's just kind of going stir-crazy and probably a little bit regular-crazy, too. The middle of the movie is just a day in the life of people in Vietnam. Day after day after day. But by the end, it turns into something completely different. I was not expecting all this stuff with Brando. I was not expecting this giant cult. I was expecting maybe a few different people that he has recruited to his side, and there's going to be a big battle, much like like fucking Predator, you know?
1: Well, the whole movie is basically a mystery. So we've used the term MacGuffin before. Yeah. And that is Marlon Brando's character. He's the MacGuffin, where they talk about him. You know, you get little clips, little snips. Yeah, you you are he, getting introduced to
0: him the whole movie. And Martin Sheen keeps on getting these, like, dispatches about, oh, I'm reading this thing about him, and man, all this stuff really makes me respect the guy, and but, I can't really, the, the guy I'm reading about here doesn't seem like the guy I'm being sent to kill.
1: But that's the mystery, is we're being told that this guy is, like, the cream of the crop. He is, yeah. like, brilliant and ambitious, and being groomed to be in charge of Literally anything he wants.
0: Yeah, he could have been like on the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Like, he is that high up there.
1: But you're being told at the beginning of the movie by the military that this guy is crazy. Yeah. So clearly this is a commentary that, you know, maybe what they tell you isn't entirely true. Like, the whole right. the whole scenario of the Vietnam War is the American people were not being told exactly what was actually happening over there. For a really long time, Americans thought we were winning. They thought we were winning. And there's even
0: commentary in this about, hey, yeah, this whole fucking war is being
1: run by clowns. They're Yeah, four-star clowns, he calls them. So you're being told one thing at the beginning, and then he's trying to piece all the things together, and he just doesn't get it. Like, it doesn't add up. Like, why
0: would we try to go off and kill this guy? And- even the other guys that he's with, they're not going to go with him to go and kill another American. Are you fucking kidding me? All of us are dying out here. Why would we want to spend all these resources and to get one guy up here to try to kill another American? Does of make our any, own. Yeah, doesn't make any sense.
1: No, so you're, you're kind of going along, and me watching this this time, I was like, yeah, I don't get this. Why... Why? Like, you're explaining this character that he's going after as this phenomenal human being, this great man. Like, somebody even says, at the beginning, he was, like, a great man, a nice man. Sure. The guy, the general, or whoever he is at the beginning, giving him the orders. And then at the end, like, genuinely... He is a little insane because his methods are, I'm just going to decapitate people. And you have to be just a little crazy to do something like that with regularity. But also, he's only like this because this is what the war did to him.
0: This is what war in general has done to him. But this war specifically and This war specifically of course because he tells these stories about, you know, he was dispatched to the to, to the jungle somewhere and they're going to go on a humanitarian mission doing great things, but then he realizes he he witnesses the horrors of humanity and it just kind of makes him a little nuts,
1: the cold calculating drive that the other side has in this war they will this go so yeah, in yeah. this war they will go so far as to chop off all of the arms of the children who they inoculated yeah
0: and, and i have heard that story before in other contexts
1: and they did it with such precision and without worrying about it mm-hmm. they just did it because it's what they thought had to happen and that was the trigger like he thought
0: about these people these aren't monsters these aren't like bad people they are doing the thing that they think is the best thing to do and they're doing it With skill.
1: So, yeah, that's what kind of snaps him. And they have a line earlier in the movie that every soldier has his breaking point. Yeah. And you see a few of them throughout this movie as they're on this journey up the river. Yeah. How different things affect the different guys on the boat. What things trigger them, Mm -hmm. how they react to them, how they recover or don't recover from it. And with Marlon Brando, by the end, okay, that's the thing that triggered him. And he is definitely a little bit nuts, but also he has this clarity of this is the shit show. This is what I've been entered into. Yeah. And he just starts approaching it completely differently. Like, I'm just going to start killing people without thinking, without caring about the consequence because it doesn't matter. It's that nihilism that just takes over his entire being. Yeah. And and it
0: becomes his motto, Apocalypse Now. Yeah, exactly. And I think really by the end here, He recognizes that the Martin Sheen character is skilled. He got all the way here. And he's going to try to keep on doing what he's doing and and bring him into his flock. But I think he also realizes that he's a different breed. He's actually going to follow through with it. And I think he's glad about it. Like, he could have had him killed. He could have had him disappeared. But he doesn't do it. He's allowed to just kind of roam around. But at the same time, he's trying to bring Martin Sheen under his spell.
1: Well, yeah, it's a fucking cult. That's what you do. You brainwash the people and you get them on your side. Yeah. And you get them to agree with you. And frankly, the entire time he's on that boat and he's reading all about this guy, he is kind of admiring him. He's intrigued. And he's intrigued. And he's like, I keep thinking about what I'm going to do when I see him. Right. And I don't know. Like, he gets there and he kind of just... Doesn't know how to react to it. That
0: is the question now. They are introducing this idea. Oh, what if Martin Sheen actually does join him? Because they keep on talking that he admires him. He looks at his entire military history. He is a third generation graduate of West Point. That's a, a big ass deal. Because that is a deep that, military family. Yeah, that goes back to like the the, the beginning of the century. With all of the different wars that the U.S. has gone through. And yeah, I do think that it is a real question. Does Martin Sheen have it in him to go through with his mission? Or is he going to join him?
1: Well, and they counter it by showing you... Hey, Twist, we actually tried this mission once before.
0: By the way.
1: And uh, this guy kind of disappeared, and we kind of assume he's on his side now. Yeah. And he is there. He actually sees him. He finds him. And Mm -hmm. yeah, this dude has joined up with Marlon Brando. He was sent to kill him, and he joined him. So you have that very real fear as the viewer that, oh, shit, Martin Sheen's going to do the same thing. Because we've already seen at the beginning of the movie, this dude is also a little bit crazy. Like, when he is in the context of, I have nothing to do, I have stopped being in the war, I don't have a mission, he's just in a hotel room, losing his mind.
0: And it helps that this was, like, this script was written kind of after the war, where a lot of the guys started coming home, and they're they're telling stories. Real stories. Real stories about the shit that they went through, and he's talking like, I'm waking up and I'm still in Saigon, I don't really want to be in Saigon. I want to be out in the jungle. I want to be on a mission. I live to be on a mission.
1: He says he went back to America. He finished yeah. his tour of duty. Right. And then he went right back. It's that thing that happened in the Hurt Locker where the guy gets such a rush. That's his life. That's sure. his best self. Sure. It's the same thing in this movie. When he goes home... His wife
0: divorces him.
1: Well, he agrees to the divorce because he's like, what the fuck is this place? What is going on? I don't understand America. I don't understand normalcy anymore. Mm -hmm. So he just signs up and goes back to the jungle because he says, when I'm in the jungle, I think about being at home. When I'm at home, all I want to do is get back to the jungle. Yeah, And there are people like that where... That's just what happens. It's just sort of bred into them.
0: You can take a lot of uh, stuff from this movie and apply it to at least the wars of the past 20 years because so many people took so many tours of duty and they just, they got it in them. A lot of career guys came out of that.
1: And the other thing from this is 1979, this movie was in production for a long time. So it was actually filmed closer to 76, 77, which explains a pre-Star Wars Harrison Ford. Um, Right. But we still didn't have a great understanding of PTSD. People coming back from Vietnam Mm -hmm. were really, really fucked up. This was a war unlike any other war America had been involved in today.
0: This is the war that got the military doctors... To really start investigating PTSD because it's been around since war has been around. They just call it different things. They have less of an understanding way back when. I mean, they called it shell shock back in World War I, and they just keep on changing the name, but the effect is the same. And there really isn't any kind of treatment for it at the time. You just kind of bring them back and hey, you all, all you guys want to come back home? Here's your chance. You're back home now. And that's
1: it. Move on. Thanks for your service. Bye-bye.
0: Here's your GI Bill. Go and start a business. When in reality, all you really need to do is talk about your experience. You need to go through some kind of therapy or not. You know, not everybody has the same experience, like the fucking Robert Duval character. He's in this movie and he's having a great time. He
1: is cool as a cucumber. There are literally guns blasting, explosions going yeah, off, six shells feet going behind off. him.
0: Yeah, shells going
1: off, and he just he he couldn't care less. He is flying in his helicopter drinking a cup of coffee. Right. Because this is just another day. Another day for him. <laughs> and he wants to go surfing. So there he are loves these, surfing. There are these crazy sequences in this movie where you have just completely counterintuitive ideas smashing up against each other yeah so you're just watching robert duvall strolling around taking his shirt off so he can go surfing because he's just like fuck it i'm doing this let's go while people are being murdered and pe- random women are throwing grenades into another helicopter.
0: Yeah, and we'll get to more of the, the visual things and all the stuff that happens in a minute. But I would say his character is the most like incongruous to like what is happening in this war. And I think it's, it's a coping mechanism, really, is what it is. He is trying to grasp onto any, anything and everything that makes him feel like a normal human being. And by golly, if I have to call in fucking napalm to be dropped on this entire tree line so that I can have my surfing session with this surfing legend that just happened to land on my beach, (laughs) you know?
1: Right. I'm gonna do it. There are some like turns like there's a guy bleeding on the ground and his guts are hanging out and he's given a speech about i you know if he's willing to fight and hold on to his blood i'm gonna share my canteen and then somebody says oh there's a surfer over here he goes ooh what celebrity and then he just like drops the canteen and runs away and starts fanboying out it is such a weird weird character with everything else going on against it. But that's also just Martin Sheen throughout this whole movie to some extent. Because at the beginning, he's really like drunk and crazed in his little room. Yeah. And then once he's got a mission, he's very singularly focused mm-hmm. and he's not getting involved in anything.
0: He's an observer.
1: He is an observer. He is not firing his gun. He is telling people, don't get off the boat. Don't do this. Don't stop.
0: Is the one, I mean, just this is a very much an aside, is the one time that he shoots his gun at the woman, does he fire his gun at any other time?
1: So I don't even remember. Did he start shooting at the tiger? He might have, but I don't know. Because it was kind of all happening very quickly.
0: Okay, but regardless of that, I'm talking about uh, shooting other people.
1: I don't think he does. I think he is just sort of there on his mission trying to get other people to get him where he needs to be. Because I genuinely don't recall. Like there's the part where they all get the mail. Yep. And then out of nowhere, people on the beach start firing at them. And I don't remember what he's doing at that time, but I don't think he's that involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He certainly doesn't shoot anybody that we know of. Mm -hmm. He might be firing his weapon, but it's just sort of chaos. It's just at whatever is firing at you.
0: Yeah, and we don't really see in the movie a lot of people actually get shot. There's really not a lot of that, even though a lot of people clearly die.
1: But yeah, you're right. The only time we see him use his weapon for the first chunk of the movie, most of the movie, is when they pull over a boat and he says, don't stop. This is fucking stupid. You need to get my mission as the priority. Right. Don't waste my time. And this
0: bullshit thing that you just, you happen to have orders to stop any boat that comes along. I don't give a shit. You don't need to tell anybody about it. I'm not going to tell anybody about it. Just keep on moving.
1: He's just sitting there shirtless on the boat with his hands on his knees like, "Ah, this is a waste of my time.
0: This is going to go badly. This is going to go
1: badly. All these guys on the boat
0: are fucking crazed. Yeah, They're going to do something stupid.
1: They've been out here too long. They're all a bunch of loons. And, of course, it goes badly. And this woman is not dead. So he's like, oh, that woman? Bang.
0: Yeah, this is going to be one more thing that that is going to take me away from my mission. Because you think that you have to bring her to some friendly med- medical station? No, you're not. I'm going to shoot her right now. She's going to be dead and we can move on.
1: And I tell you, I told you so. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's really fucking dark. And then at the end of the movie... He doesn't even have a gun anymore. He, like, fucking machetes the hell out of Mm -hmm. Marlon Brando. But he goes through with it, like, because he's a fucking stone cold killer. Like, they set him up as this at the beginning of the movie. Like, they grab this guy right. and say, Oh, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. Like, they've clearly got a long list of yeah. all the missions yeah. he's been on. Here's
0: your rap sheet where all of the different things that you were sent on, and he's not going to talk about them because he's not allowed to. They're classified. He probably doesn't even want to talk about them.
1: <laughs> no. You know what was funny to me about this scene? And I didn't notice this until. Just recently, you and I have talked about about it, I think, on this podcast, but I've been rewatching The X-Files, and there is an episode from an earlier season called Musings of a Cigarette Smoking Man, where they almost shot for shot, like certainly the vibe, recreate this scene where he is getting his mission. There's a dude who's clearly not a military man sitting in a corner, then you've got some general or higher ranking officer, and then you've got a peon who are saying, okay, so are you this guy? Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do that? And he's denying it. Yeah, that is almost shot for shot, like moment for moment at least, what they do in that episode of The X-Files. And that is clearly coming from this movie. Cool. And I would only have recognized this now because I'm just in the process of (laughs) watching it. If I had watched this movie in like three years or several years ago, I probably wouldn't have caught that. But it's just one of the many Things that this movie has influenced as it has progressed. But yeah, yeah, just a funny little observation that you would not get, but I totally of got. So if you, if, you, if any of you out there have watched the X-Files, go and watch that episode and tell me I'm not, tell me I'm wrong.
0: I mean, just based on what you're saying, of course it
1: is. And it's the same thing. He's sent on an assassination mission. So, I don't know. I just feel like that's rather a literal <laughs> I mean, choice. It, it's
0: a great you know, scene to draw inspiration from. If you have a bunch of people in the room and you have maybe like a silent guy in there who is just kind of staring at the main character, he, that guy was creepy. Yeah, what the he, hell was he about? He, he did about?
1: not say anything no. until the very end. I don't know. what is he an informant? Who was he? Why was he in this room? I don't know.
0: I mean, if I were to assume anything, he's probably some kind of liaison from the government or like the higher brass, like much higher brass than just the general is. Or he, he could also be like an intelligence agent who is getting like they have a lot of information about this guy. that That they're bringing in.
1: They had to get it somewhere.
0: Yeah. So they're informing the general. They're informing Harrison Ford about all this stuff. And they're authorizing this mission to go out and do it. But like, how they choose Martin Sheen to be the one to do it? I guess it's just because, hey, they they looked at his sheet and he's done a bunch of stuff in the past. And the reason why they know about that is because maybe, yeah, he is an intelligence agent who is allowing them to know about it so that they can choose who to do it. I don't know. Uh,
1: no, he's he's not done anything. All of that is classified. <laughs> You've heard wrong. I yeah. don't I don't know what you're
0: talking about. Yes. Uh, well, speaking of this scene, uh, we have to talk about the fact that. Pretty much the entire thing is like a first person shot
1: from the perspective of Martin Sheen. It's just him looking around and observing like yeah. their face, the food, the hands, the audio device. Yeah, yeah. there's there's a lot of weird ways of filming this. Now, I understand
0: that this is a small space and it's really hard to have, you know, your regular, you know, three-quarter profile shot of your of your main actor. Wide shot,
1: close-up shot. Totally.
0: I, I understand that. But I think it's more effective this way because he's having to absorb all this information. He really doesn't get a whole lot of, like, paperwork that he has to bring with him. But yes, him sitting down at the table, like, eating his meatloaf, And getting talked at by this general. Like, Martin Sheen barely says a word in this entire conversation.
1: He barely says a word this entire movie. There's a lot of voiceover, but if you actually observe him in the scenes where everyone else is talking, Mm -hmm. he's not doing much of it. But You're right. Yes, in this scene, when he's finding out what the mission is, it is an interesting way to portray how he is collecting information. Mm -hmm. It's like you said, a first person... And he is just absorbing. And that's like his skill. Like he is supposed to go on this fact-finding mission Mm -hmm. on his way up the river to get there. And it ends with the—I assume he's a general. They didn't actually say it, I don't think. Yes, they did. Oh, they did? Okay. Anyway, the general looks straight at the camera. And so does Martin Sheen. It's this weird moment where they are looking right down the lens. And my assumption here is they are telling you something about, you know— what you are supposed to feel you the viewer are supposed to believe what i am saying convince
0: you of what it is that we are telling you that this guy's a bad guy we got we got this audio recording of him talking crazy and shit like that i think you're right like this is right trying to dive deep into the audience and convince you that this mission is a legit thing. Because think about in context, 1979, this movie comes out, and trying to convince an audience, an American audience, that this is a righteous mission might be a tough sell. Because there's a whole lot of veterans out there that would think to themselves, you would never, ever do this. How could you even broach this topic of assassinating another American soldier?
1: Right, it's also just setting up that this is the voice of the government, quote-unquote. Yeah. Yeah. The government says this is the way it has to be, so I'm going to make my final sales pitch, and you're going to buy in. But then the rest of the movie, they're basically telling you, yeah, no, whatever they said is bullshit, because this is what's actually going on, and you're, you're shown scene after scene after scene as Martin Sheen is on this journey where this is just really fucked up everywhere they go is everyone's acting a little bit crazy because of their circumstances and there is just indiscriminate shooting of guns and they don't really know who they're aiming at or why they're doing it.
0: But that's just another day in the life of the Vietnam War. But that's what
1: I'm saying. So he's watching this happen and we're watching it happen and going, I don't think I agree with what that man who stared me in the eyes was telling me at the beginning of this movie because you're being shown the horrors of war. And the movie fucking ends with Marlon Brando dying on the ground, yell, you know, whispering, the horror. Yeah. The horror. That's the whole point of it is the horror that he experiences the whole movie. You are getting on his side.
0: To a point, yes, you are. But I'm all I'm saying here is the, the general is not saying anything incorrect. This guy is crazy. This guy is developing yes. this weird cult. And- These soldiers live in this environment. They are living through the Vietnam War. They know it's fucked up, but they don't know to what extent is happening at the other end of the river.
1: It's really easy to say that when you're sitting in an air-cooled trailer eating roast beef that, oh yes, he's really bad. You know, listen to us because we have no idea what we're talking about.
0: And Harrison Ford is also there. (laughs) Um, Did you also notice that Harrison Ford had a weird issue but like, coughing?
1: He was really uncomfortable. Like,
0: clearing his throat a lot. Yeah,
1: it's the thing that you do when you're really nervous. Like, he has to give him the bad news. And the Mm -hmm. bad news is your mission is to kill one of our own. A high-ranking, important officer.
0: Yeah, he is a Green Beret.
1: Which is why he's like, "You, you have to... You have to kill. kill And and like they're using this as like a
0: euphemistic way of saying it. Like you have to uh, uh, eliminate, uh, uh, remove him from active duty.
1: His command. You have to relieve him him. of his command. Relieve him from his command. Yeah, something like that. And his
0: corporeal form.
1: What? I (laughs) didn't say that. That's crazy. And
0: however you see fit.
1: Yeah, your mission doesn't exist. But also. Your mission doesn't exist right. and it will
0: never exist. Yeah. And that's why I think this other guy sitting there is some kind of intelligence agent because they're getting all this other information elsewhere and they have to pass it along to the proper people. The proper people don't want to have to do this, but they have to do this.
1: And the whole reason for them doing this, they just kind of concoct one. They're like, Oh yeah, he's, yeah. he murdered, he murdered murderer. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I literally just spent the last two hours watching Everybody in this movie murdering people left and right. Sure,
0: and... That
1: was the Vietnam
0: War. That's what they did. Part of the intelligence that he gets says, oh, three people from the South Vietnamese army or or some kind of military were assassinated, but then the places where... He, they, they were serving completely cleared up and there were no other Viet Cong there or something like that.
1: It was like rather it convenient was like a, It was like something. a good
0: thing that happened. I don't know. It's weird.
1: Yeah, he did something really horrible in a roundabout, not cleared way. The government yeah. didn't clear his tactics. Well, that was but another the, thing. But yeah, it yeah. resolved the issue. So then they're like okay, but we don't really like the way you did it. Right. Like one it's of, bad. One of
0: the other things that they talked about was this guy, Marlon Brando's character, went and did a mission by himself. He was unsanctioned mm-hmm. while he was still in the military and still in good graces. Was a, It was a successful mission. When they came back, they were going to fucking probably court-martial him, but then it got leaked to the press, and because of that, it was a successful mission, he got promoted instead.
1: He was a hero then. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about and, how you frame it. And
0: all the higher-up brass were pissed off because they, he did something that he was not ordered to do, and that's where I started to question if whether or not these top brass were just going to go after him because he made them look bad. I don't know.
1: I mean, probably. I'm sure that's he part of it. He made them
0: look stupid. It, it's probably part of it. yeah anyway we're spending way too much time about this one initial scene i want to move on so he gets his mission he gets assigned to ride along on this boat that is filled with with the navy men and there's a bunch of people that we do not recognize you
1: recognize the captain
0: of this boat
1: he's been in a lot of like tv shows and movies like you said allie McBeal. the thing i think i'm recognizing from is allie McBeal because he was in a substantial number of episodes i recognized his voice before i recognized his face fine
0: I didn't recognize anybody except for an extremely young
1: Larry Fish. Lawrence Fishburne. I looked up. Okay, when this movie came out, he was like 17, 18. But then it said, oh, no, when Francis they started, Lord Coppola yeah. had to edit this movie for three years, meaning he was like 14 when years old. When they started
0: fil- filming, Larry Fish was 14 years old. He lied about his age in order to get cast.
1: That is fucking insane he is a pimply faced little boy in this movie (laughs) and when we first see him he's in profile and I didn't even recognize him yeah it wasn't until we see him from the front that you're like I know exactly who that man is (laughs) holy shit (laughs) yeah I recognize
0: his mouth his teeth anywhere
1: Oh yeah, like he's very young and his voice is very high.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't recognize his voice at all, like maybe some of the intonations, but and he is super, you know, young and very skinny. He's
1: like 90 pounds soaking he's wet. He's so skinny.
0: Yeah, and we were reading some stuff as long as we're talking about him let's finish him up. Uh, when at the end of the movie when he gets shot and killed, during that he is listening to a tape that was sent to him by his mother. The voice on the tape was his actual
1: mother. Love it, <laughs> yeah. love, perfect, no notes, <laughs> and that scene's really fucking dramatic too. Sure, because you're literally watching this kid bleeding out on a boat while his mom is saying things yeah. like "Don't get shot," "We love you," "Come yeah, do- home," "Dodge those bullets," and by the way, we're trying to pull some money together to buy you a car. Don't tell, don't tell your dad I told you. It's the, I, it's gonna be our little secret. secret. Yeah, like. There are a few moments in the movie like that where it's, like, juxtaposing yeah. ideas. Well, and,
0: like, to, to bring it a little bit backwards, on that boat, they were going through all their mail. Martin Sheen is, is going through the intelligence that he that he just received. It's just kind of a a weird thing where a lot of things are happening at the same time. Like, Larry Fish is listening to the tape and other guys are freaking out over here. They just got something in the mail saying, oh, yeah, I got this thing. I've been waiting for this. Martin Sheen is having his voiceover. It's everything happening at once. And then out of the bushes, all these fucking, like, like flares and or, like, munitions, I have no idea what it was, shooting out of the bushes at them. Um...
1: cacophony.
0: Yeah. I will say this. This movie is chaotic in the best way. Normally, I hate movies like this where you cannot pay attention to what they're trying to show you you don't know what's going on it's too much but that was the point of this whole thing my attention was being pulled in so many different directions with all these guys talking at the same time and then everybody's attention was laser focused on defending themselves and shooting against the people shooting at them
1: common goal turn look do that right yeah there's a few things like that when the rest of the scenes are blow this up shoot that thing wait well who's firing at us i don't know what's going on yeah it's just chaotic
0: yeah and like even before he gets on the boat we have the scenes with robert duvall and all of the helicopter scenes which look amazing this whole movie looks amazing i mean it won best cinematography at the oscars damn right <laughs> and it won best sound so like visually and audio top fucking notch holy shit like, when they get up the morning of, they're going to get on the, the, the helicopters and go and do a fucking bombing run at, at this village. Like, the sunrise coming up, all of the different helicopters in the sky. Man, that was fucking beautiful.
1: <laughs> he loves the smell of napalm in the morning. And yeah. it's, it is something very artistic about this sequence, which is a weird thing to say about mm-hmm. a battle scene. But that's how it's designed. It is this guy's vision of what he likes war to be. And so he blasts music and they come in and it's just a symphony of his own creation. It's the
0: fucking Valkyrie song. It is them just blowing the fuck out of this village. It is just a cacophony. It is utter chaos
1: you don't know what, you, what you're paying attention to because it's all happening at once. But meanwhile, Robert Duvall is just strolling through like nothing is going on around him, which is why he's just giving a speech about Napalm. Right. And as this is about to happen, you also
0: get it's cutting to there's a school where there's a bunch of children all kind of in their uniforms and the teacher's like shooing them away into a shelter. But then you also see all of the other soldiers, the Viet Cong, coming out of the woodwork, grabbing weapons, and it's going to be a big battle.
1: It's weird. It's the calm before the storm with the the villagers who have nothing to do with it. Because
0: they start hearing the helicopters. They start hearing the music
1: blaring. They know what's coming. And there's guys just like running out of fields and grabbing machine guns from God knows where. Yeah, and then you you get kind of the the
0: aftermath scene where the yellow flare is out, the yellow smoke is going out because hey, we got injured people over here. We gotta land the helicopter, and basically, then basically don't shoot your guns here, please. Sure, like this area secure. You can go ahead and land. We got we got injured people here. Where like one guy is on the ground his leg is fucked up they put they're putting him on the gurney putting him into the helicopter to be taken off to to get worked on and all of a sudden this woman comes out of uh, out of nowhere throws a grenade inside of the helicopter and it blows up so that's the kind of shit that they have to deal with and of course as a retaliatory thing they see the people who threw the grenade in there and they they gun him down and then Robert Duval just moves on to talk about surfing for a little while
1: when I say this beach is good for surfing then by God it's clear let's go let's fucking do it if you don't like that then call in the planes and blast the tree line yeah like literally he's like I am going to barrel through these people so I can get some relaxation I'm going
0: to carpet bomb this motherfucker I'm gonna get my R&R if I have to kill every one of these motherfuckers and again we're kind of glossing over the fact that this is fucking horrible
1: yeah, it's gnarly and fast and ugly and, like I said before, indiscriminate. They just kind of kill everyone. Yeah. Because they want to surf. And they they know this village is overrun, so they just are going to go ahead and assume that everybody here is a bad guy. Right,
0: and they are just setting fire to everything. They are using these, like, weird bulldozer boats. Like, I've never seen anything like that before. There was something that went out of the water. It had a big bulldozer thing on the front of it. It came out of the water and it became a tank.
1: Well, and when we're first introduced to this group, they say we were supposed to meet them 30 kilometers away, but they got bored where they were. So Mm -hmm. they came to fuck shit up down here instead. Yeah.
0: And I understand them like being indiscriminate as far as who they kill because this woman throws a grenade in there. You, You would think that, oh yeah, this woman, just an unassuming person, but they just kill like five people. And again, I understand why they're doing it. The Americans are there to fuck shit up, and you want revenge. I understand that.
1: Right. Just again, this war sucked, like, a lot. Oh, this war was the fucking ho- sucks. But this one in particular, it was just, we didn't know why we were there. None of the soldiers knew why they were there. We didn't get anywhere after yeah. how many years of doing it.
0: They made the best of the situation as they saw fit. And because there was just no line of you know command here, the guys were just kind of hanging out and doing whatever, using the munitions that they had in order to just have an easier time of things.
1: Well, like, let's jump ahead to that scene where they're at the bridge, where they're at the last yeah. touchpoint yeah. of... This is the end of the line where we stop caring because we're almost to Cambodia at this point. Yeah, past here is Cambodia. Every day build this bridge and every night the Vietnamese blow it the hell up Mm -hmm. just so they can say, oh yeah, the road is open so that they can tell the superiors, Mm -hmm. no, no, we're doing it. But they don't have a fucking commanding officer. It is just chaos. Everybody is shooting at each other. And everybody
0: there is just kind of going a little mad.
1: Well, and it's fucking creepy as shit. There's like carnival music playing and Mm -hmm. I still can't tell if that was actually playing or just in the soundtrack. They said something about listen
0: to the music. They
1: did say something and it's like, eerie, like, slowing down, broken-ass carnival music. And there's,
0: like, these these streamers of lights everywhere that kind of make it look like it was a carnival.
1: Yeah. It's weird. There's a lot of commentary and themes about, like, clowns and tigers and yeah. circuses. I'm sure if we went through and broke it down, we'd find several of them because this war was just... You know, a bunch of people who weren't, quote, playing by the rules attacking Americans. And so then Americans reacted because you got a bunch of guys in the jungle that nobody can see. They don't know where they are. You're all sweating your asses off because you're not used to this climate. It's just a mess. It was a nightmare scenario.
0: Yeah. And like in this scene, you have these guys who are down in these bunkers. One guy was just kind of like catatonic. And as soon as he woke up, he grabbed his his grenade launcher and was going to take care of the one guy that they just couldn't kill with the machine
1: gun. Because he wouldn't shut
0: up. Because he wouldn't shut That's up. That's
1: usually the thing. It's like, I'm sick of listening to him screaming. Yeah. Someone do something about it. And he did. And then, yeah,
0: Martin Sheen asks, do you know who your commanding officer is? Yes. And then he walks away. And then he walks away. He didn't. You didn't ask where he was. No, I know who he
1: is because there's nobody here in charge. It's just just a meltdown. Yeah.
0: They've been given no orders to retreat. They've been given no orders, period, except probably hold the bridge. That's it.
1: Yeah. Stay put.
0: Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing until we get other orders. Otherwise, this is what we're going to do until we run out of
1: munitions, I guess. Or guys. One or the other. Yeah. And in that case, we'll just send more men. That's how we do things. That's how war works. I'm suddenly reminded of when we watched uh, All Quiet on the Western I was Front just gonna at say, the beginning of this year. Talk about a quagmire of World War One capacity. Just keep bringing in the new guys, bringing the new guys. Fucking no one meat, knows. meat grinder. That's what this is, too, though. Everywhere they went.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess it, it kind of was like that everywhere, except for when they uh, encountered the non USO show.
1: Whatever that was. Yeah, it wasn't
0: a sanctioned USO show because they wouldn't bring fucking Playboy bunnies on stage.
1: Yeah, the uh, what was it, Bunny of the year or something Uh, or the month,
0: Miss March, Miss April, Miss May, whatever the fuck it was.
1: Yeah, they actually, and that is like a again a bizarre scene when they're just like going up the river and you know people have fucking died leading up to this yeah and then they come across this event
0: like there's all these lights on and there's a stage and there's
1: vendors like what the hell is going on and when they show up those guys are so fucking horny and crazy and a little bit drunk that they have to have this platform out on the water About six feet away from the guys, and there's barbed wire fence to keep them away from the women they are bringing in. Sure. Because they're like, we don't know what's going to happen, but we have to assume it won't be good. And it isn't because the first guy gets over and then it just turns into dozens of men leaping over this ravine.
0: Yeah, and they recall get the girls at the women. back to the helicopter and they take off. But there's like two or three guys just hanging on to the landing gear.
1: Losing their pants. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Falling into the water. A lot of guys losing their pants in this. A lot of butts. There's also a lot of just please take me with you. Right. And like back at the Cambodian border, we have like five or six guys just holding their guns aloft in the water saying please take me with you Dragging take me along suitcases. Home. yeah
1: yeah trying to get on board like don't leave me behind right
0: it's fucking crazy speaking of fucking crazy the last half hour of this movie <laughs> because good god like there are like hints of what we might be encountering as they're kind of like looking off to the to the shores of uh, of this river there's a couple of instances where you see, like, these shrines of where they're performing these rituals. There's, like, skulls of dead people and people strung up. Decapitated people.
1: Yeah. Just the heads. Just people hanging from trees. When they show up, they're greeted by dozens of people standing in boats all, like, painted, painted in, like, white. clay yeah. paint or something. As,
0: as they, like, part the sea and they're allowed in, but there's no way they would ever get
1: out. It's very ghostly. It's very spooky. There is some eerie shit they're throughout this whole an, movie. They're entering
0: another world.
1: Another dimension, if yeah. you will, yeah. And, of course,
0: they're greeted by Dennis Hopper.
1: He's an American. What in the shit are A you doing here, buddy? A photojournalist who, like, it's another commentary about the fact that you don't even have to be in the war to be affected by this war in the same way this guy says he's been covering the war since 64 so he's been here for five years he says
0: i've been here in laos and cambodia and like northern and southern vietnam i've just seen everything and this is probably the craziest shit i've seen
1: and he has completely bought into everything that Marlon Brando's character yeah, is like saying. Yeah, he is
0: a genius. All yeah. the, he he just he's speaks, wild. He speaks in poetry.
1: And if Dennis Hopper isn't the actual personification of like the hippie culture of the time, I guess like normally. I don't find him attractive, but this look was doing it for me. Like his long <laughs> hair and the beard. And he's just like, yeah, man. Yeah. Like, like I did. He said he was going to kill me and I believe it.
0: <laughs> so if I take his picture again, he's going to kill me.
1: And, and I buy that. Totally. So yeah, he just shows up and then I don't know what happens to him because at the end of the movie, we don't see him. You don't
0: see him again.
1: So yeah, but he is very invested in this Because he also believes that this war is fucked, and everything is crazy, and he's speaking the most sense of anybody else I've heard, so I'm going to follow
0: him. And because he's been there for so long, any kind of people making sense might keep him right there, instead of just, you know, leaving. This is a
1: common problem, why people join cults. They are at their wits' end. Something has triggered them to make them vulnerable to that influence and then somebody comes along that sounds like they make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to follow them. Not a problem. We have it all in our culture. Yeah.
0: So Martin Sheen gets captured here because, I mean, he's just going to let him capture him. Because, of course, yeah. what What else are you going to do?
1: He's not going to fight off hundreds of people. No. He walks in and they take him.
0: He's doing a recon mission. He's trying to figure out where everybody is. He says, I want to talk to the guy. Just want to just wanna talk to him. I just want to talk to him. And they say, no, man, you can't talk to him. You just have to listen. It's like, okay, well, take me to listen. I'm I'm going to hear what he has to say.
1: Oh, but he's not here. He's not around. He just does that. Some- he just disappears in the woods with his followers. But it's good for him, and it's good for us. Yeah. So they
0: stop before they go up this stairway where, the, again, there are just dead bodies strewn about everywhere.
1: Yeah. There's like a temple, like an old temple, and they're occupying yeah. it. And there's bodies, and yeah, just... Murder and chaos everywhere around. So he says to the one guy saying, okay, go back to the boat.
0: And if I'm not back to the boat by this time, go ahead and radio in an airstrike at these coordinates. So if he's unsuccessful in just killing the one guy, he's going to kill everybody. Yeah.
1: Burn it to the ground. That's their, that is their absolute answer to everything here is when in doubt, burn it.
0: Uh, but of course, he gets taken capture. He's put into a cage. But before that, he sits down right next to Marlon Brando for days. Yeah, for days he is here
1: because it, he he's again he's trying to get him on his side, like convince him yeah. that I'm not crazy. I'm not a murderer. You can you can disagree with my methods, but I'm not a murderer. After
0: everything I've seen, after everything I've done, this is my worldview. And you can either take it or leave it, buddy. I'm not going to keep you in a cage forever. You can just go about your business, and I'm not going to do anything. But there's people watching you at all times.
1: Yeah, I don't have to threaten you. There's plenty of people here who will do that for me.
0: Mm, Even if you do escape, we'll find you and we will kill you.
1: Where are you going to escape to? You're in the middle of the fucking jungle.
0: But yes, the elephant in the room, and no pun intended. Uh, Marlon Brando is just... The weirdest kind of performance I think I've seen in a movie for a very long time. And because this is my first impression of him, I don't know how that is going to form in in later movies because we're eventually going to watch the Godfather series. I guarantee that. I have not seen it.
1: I think if you go backwards, you're going to find that he is tolerable. Yes. It's when you go forward, from here and forward, yes. where he starts getting a reputation as being, for lack of a better word, difficult. Yeah. Marlon Brando showed up on this set completely unprepared. He did it for the paycheck, basically. He yeah. didn't read the book. He didn't read his lines. He didn't know his fucking lines on this set.
0: And he got the script from Coppola, and he just threw it away saying i'm not going to do it like this they essentially have to do the entire thing ad-libbed they have to feed him his lines they have to write down his lines in a surreptitious way so that he can see them off screen on so he can see them but no one else can and they also shoot him in shadow mostly shadow which i like I like a whole lot. We're going to talk about some visual things later. But I think the way that they're shooting Marlon Brando in these scenes is brilliant. Because he is this shadowy figure. Because he is this mystery man. Well, and
1: they've spent the whole movie hiding his identity, basically. And even when you're
0: introduced to him, Mm -hmm. he's still a mystery. And I will say this. 1979, when this movie came out, we haven't mentioned, there are zero Zero credits. At the Opening beginning or closing. of the movie, at the end of the movie, zero credits whatsoever. You can't get away with that now because there are rules in the union contracts. You cannot have a movie without credits. <laughs> well,
1: and this was still early on. Remember when we did American Graffiti? Yeah. There was something in there that George Lucas said, Well, I can't pay you, but I'll give you a credit. Mm -hmm. which was unheard of at the time, like, to give, like, the crew a credit in your movie. Mm -hmm. So this is only a few years after that. And all of a sudden, it's like, no credits, nothing. Why? How? Explain. I I don't
0: know if, if he was just trying to do something here. But my point here is, 1979, you know who Marlon Brando is. And... If you didn't already know, that might have been a giant, giant surprise for you.
1: If he wasn't included in the advertising. Like, he's. That's what I'm saying. He's on the poster, but it's an artistic, like, drawing, and it doesn't really look like the man because he's entered middle age firmly. He is overweight for what they were expecting him to be he Mm -hmm. showed up not looking the way they thought he was going to unsaid he's completely bald he's not lit in a way that it's like oh yeah that's marlon
0: brando but as a movie as a presentation i think it works extremely well
1: oh they got so lucky that they got anything out of him because yeah he's good in it yeah despite himself despite his best efforts (laughs) to not be a productive member to this cast. He turned out a performance at least.
0: Yeah. And like just his, his aura, he's just kind of like hovering around everywhere. There's one instance where he actually beheads one of his crewmates from the boat. Because he was the guy who was going to go out and, and uh, radio in for the airstrike. He was in the process they of found doing him it. They first. I thought maybe they intercepted the uh, radio call and went out and got him.
1: I mean, they might have, or they might have just had somebody sitting right outside the boat. Could be.
0: Or Could on be. the boat. Maybe. But yeah, they grabbed his head and threw it in his lap.
1: Yeah, that that's, was fucked up.
0: That's fucked up.
1: This part of the movie like moves in a really weird way where it's just kind of like, end of scene, end of scene, mm. end of scene. So, like, he's just standing there with his face painted, and the last time we saw Martin Sheen, he was in a little cage, and now he's sitting on the ground covered in mud and rain.
0: Right, and then he's also inexplicably on the boat, and then the radio keeps yeah. going off, but then he goes into the water, and he f- sneaks up there because they're going to do this ritual killing of a water buffalo.
1: The pacing becomes very strange, yeah. and it's like his positioning, is moving faster. Yeah, his
0: positioning, I, I do not follow whatsoever, but I understand... It it makes more sense when you when you realize they're just letting Martin Sheen go wherever. Yeah. He's just sleeping on the boat. It's I'm, I'm sure a lot more comfortable. He's got all of his stuff there. <laughs> <laughs> what stuff?
1: He's got a fucking dossier about this guy he's got to kill. Right. And he doesn't say a goddamn word for half an hour. But yeah, eventually he just decides. Okay,
0: I've heard enough of this bullshit. I'm gonna fall into the water i'm gonna mud myself up and have that iconic scene of martin sheen coming out of the water which am i wrong but did they film that in reverse did they show that in reverse like he is coming out of the water and he's not dripping at all
1: you make a valid point it probably is but i don't know that for sure
0: okay anyway he looks incredible in this uh the the makeup and the, and the mud work and everything else like that looks great The way
1: they have him lit in this sequence, how you see his eyes before you see Mm -hmm. anything else. Like, he's in shadow, but you can still see the light in his eyes. Mm -hmm. It's a freaky effect, and he's walking around with his eyes, like, as wide as he can. Again, it kind of looks like when we watched The Predator. I, again, another movie that they probably took inspiration, yeah. little yeah. moments, and maybe that's just the military thing and the face paint and sure. it's just kind of coincidental. Camouflage. But there are moments that it feels like borrowing.
0: Yes. But he takes his damn machete and he goes up there and he cuts him up. You know, he's recording something. I, I don't even know what the hell he's doing.
1: His manifesto. I he's guess. writing his manifesto he's and then he's typing fire. it up. He's yeah. writing a book. Yeah, yes. Even he, in his own book, says, you know, fucking kill him. Like, burn him all to hell. Right. Like, he leaves a message knowing someone else was going to find it. And if he's dead, then this is what I think you should do. Sure. But anyway,
0: he's dead now. Marlon Brando is dead. And Martin Sheen just, I don't really understand why he doesn't run away. Where's he going to go? I know where he's going to go. But he just presents himself... Out front, I'm the captain now. Yep, and he throws down his sword, and everybody else throws down their swords. You know, in in a matter of speaking, everybody else disarms. He grabs Lance and goes back to the boat, and that's the end of the
1: movie. Yeah, he realized. I've got a mission to complete and Mm -hmm. I'm just going to stop wasting time and I'm going to get it done now. Yeah. I was told to get close to him, hang out, take as long as it takes. Mm -hmm. I've infiltrated the group.
0: Find the opportunity to do it and you did it and you go. Yeah. The end. The end. And yeah, not even a the end. Just
1: just black screen. You're done. But you know, you would ask the question like, why is it called Apocalypse Now? What is that about? And it's just that thing of They say many times Marlon Brando's character wants it to be over. He doesn't really care how. He just wants it to be done. And so when he dies, well, there you go. That's his metaphorical apocalypse. Sure. The the people in this group start following him instead of Marlon Brando, and he's leaving, so they're not going to know what to do. Maybe that's the end for them because he could order the airstrike. He's listening to the radio and they're standing by. He could have done it. He doesn't do it.
0: Yeah, he decides to to not do it.
1: Yeah, and the overall thing is we want this fucking war to be over. We right. want it to be over.
0: No further escalation. Also, they're in Cambodia, and that would be even worse if they yeah. were to, to to do that. Let's not even though they already had done that. Let's not
1: bleed into yeah. another country that we can't right. win a war. Right.
0: But yeah, um, that's kind of it. Apocalypse Now. I mean, we, I mentioned the the name thing, and there was like this graffiti name in the movie, which, by the way, we uh, before we sat down to record this uh, this here episode, we sat here for about 20 minutes reading some trivia on the IMDB page. and we could have sat here for an hour or more reading this stuff because there's so much information that has come out about this movie.
1: It's one of those movies that there are documentaries about the movie and yeah. the book and the people, aftermath. People and everything. have talked about it for 45 years since it came out. Right. There's a lot to digest and behind the scenes mm-hmm. and how it got made and
0: But one thing in particular, because there's no title, there's no opening credits, there's no end credits, nothing in this movie says apocalypse now except for that one thing. The graffiti. The graffiti. And they had to put that in there. If you wanted to give it that title, you needed to actually have, by the bylaws of copyright, I guess, you have to have the text on screen, and that's what it was. And they did it. And they did it. Uh, Another thing that I actually didn't know prior to sitting down here is that Martin Sheen had a heart attack. In the filming of this movie.
1: I did not know that.
0: Yeah, I think I saw it in some interview that he did on a sports podcast or something. (laughs) It was weird. He was a guest on something. But, yeah, he said he had a heart attack. But Coppola said in some commentary that... If the studio had found out or if the press had found out that Martin Sheena had, had a heart attack on set, they would have shut production down. They would have completely scrapped it and said, no, you got to stop this. Because the
1: budget was so far over already. Yeah, and that's
0: a separate thing. Like, Coppola had to put his own money into this movie. This was supposed to be a six-week shoot. It ended up going 20 months. And then it still took him years to finish it. Yeah, it took him years to edit it all together. There's like 2,000 hours worth of footage that he shot and the reason why he he took so much footage is because they had to shoot it blind and by that I mean they could not develop any kind of film while they were doing shooting and look at it after the fact so that they know if they got the
1: shot or not. You really have to trust your cinematographer to do that because it turned out great lucky for him because it looks fucking phenomenal.
0: And just to add on the time, if they really did want to see part of it they had to ship the film canisters off to the US or some nearby country to get it developed and sent back
1: yeah no one's doing that
0: yeah they didn't have the facilities in the Philippines where they were shooting so yeah uh, yet another thing because Martin Sheen was so busy doing other things and because it took so long for them to do the edits together the voiceover done by Martin Sheen's character was not actually done by Martin Sheen. For either all or most of it. Yeah. They had to do pickups with his brother, who apparently sounds just like him.
1: I had no idea that wasn't Martin Sheen. Same. So, yeah, I agree. It's kind of the same thing they do now. Uh, Tom Hanks has a brother. Yes. Who also does voiceover work. Mm-hmm. Anytime you see something with Woody from yes. Toy Story. Yeah. In anything other than a movie, it is not Tom Hanks. It is his brother.
0: Toy Story 1 through 4, that is Tom Hanks. Yes, in the movies. But all of the different, like Pixar shorts and all of the video
1: games. Commercials, TV shows. It's
0: all Tom Hanks' brother.
1: Yeah, and it is really weird when you know this information Mm because, yeah, he sounds just like him. Yes.
0: All right, and there's a lot more of that uh, trivia there that we mentioned. Go and read that on the IMDb page if you're interested in any more. We can't go over everything today because we're already going way long. But, Betsy, I know you have more things to talk about. What else did you have?
1: Just to reiterate that this movie looks amazing, but specifically the lighting. I was really, really impressed because there's a number of scenes filmed in the dark. Like, it is nighttime, and they have little spotlights here and there or there's like a fire going or there's flares in the sky Mm -hmm. or like the scene at the bridge where it's just like passing flares so it's like flashing lights you get some light and then it would disappear and you get some light and it would disappear Yeah,
0: it would light up those guys that are in the
1: bunker just on kind
0: of a loop like there is a, a like a turning light like just kind of going back and forth, back and forth. A spotlight of some kind. Something that is lighting lighting them up every so often. And yeah, it looks great.
1: And then when we finally get to where Marlon Brando is, like we said, he's in the fucking shadow and you cannot see his face. And you only get like the outline or his right ear and part of his head. Mm -hmm. And you can sort of see his face behind the shadow, but not really. And then you turn around and you've got Martin Sheen, And like I said, all you can see is his fucking eyes. Mm -hmm. His eyes pop so much because he's covered in makeup or he's covered in mud. But the way they have him lit, his eyes stand out. Or there's a shot of just his shadow on the wall while you're seeing Marlon Brando. Yeah, it's insane. The way they light this movie is amazing. And it's pretty much all... Either really artificial light, because mm-hmm. it's a spotlight or something, right. or it's completely natural or it's light.
0: It's the fire. Yeah, it's it, there's no like, hey, there's a big cleg light somewhere lighting you, somebody's face. No, that is all what happens to be in the background, which means you have
1: to fight with your. Baser instincts, like I can't see what's going on. Here. Sure, and
0: like the the thing at the beginning of them at the at the morning scene, you can really only get that once. You have a lot of helicopters there that you have to shoot, and I'm sure those are expensive.
1: And it's so much to coordinate because there's yeah. kind of a lot of long tracking shots like imagine if Coppola was one of those guys that did long tracking shots this movie would have been bonkers there was
0: still some of that stuff at the very beginning when when it's after they meet Duvall and there's all sorts of shit just happening in the background I figured maybe this was going to be the entire movie
1: yeah it's going to be like this there are cuts but it went on long enough in there's certain a scenes. Of,
0: yeah, there's not a lot of long shots.
1: No, but I was like, oh god, I hope this is a really long shot because I want to see all of the chaos unfolding all at once. Yeah,
0: if you want to see long tracking shots in a in a war movie, go watch 1917. It's they're designed. Fin- they're fantastic. Designed
1: to be one <laughs> continuous shot, even yes. though it's not really. Yes.
0: Oh, by the way, speaking of helicopters, uh, the U.S. military would not uh, lend. Coppola or the the production team the real equipment so we had to rent them from uh, like local military stuff and the reason why they wouldn't let him do it is because the movie is based on a mission to kill another American soldier
1: yeah they're not that's why they're not going to supply anything that is branded with like government Mm -hmm. stuff for that purpose yeah no no we're trying to promote a pro-war approach to things. Yeah. Pro-military. People, people
0: are a little down on the U.S. military in no. 1979.
1: You're crazy. What? <laughs> no.
0: Yes. Uh, what else did you have, Betsy?
1: I mean, just the fact that Robert Duvall's character literally says, someday this war is going to end. And he's sad. Yeah. When he says it, he gets mm-hmm. very wistful and he goes, huh, and he walks away. Because that is a dude who is built for this shit. He is
0: living for this war.
1: Yeah. And I understand why he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the yeah. Academy Awards because, yeah, no, I get it.
0: 11 minutes of screen time, he makes it worth it.
1: He eats every scene he's in. He is chewing that dialogue. <laughs> he is stomping around, being the biggest physical you know, being in this space yeah. you are always looking at him and even though it's like a subtle thing the fact that he's wearing a yellow bandana your eye is drawn to yeah, it he pops he pops right in the middle he's wearing an obnoxiously big hat a yellow <laughs> bandana big fucking sunglasses and he's stomping around like he owns the place
0: all right well i only have a couple of different things here uh first off Another visual thing, it's when Martin Sheen gets captured and, like, all of the different, like, native people come around to him and start, like, just surrounding him and grabbing at him. And then he gets picked up and the camera goes upside down. It it's, turns. It, it, it's tracking uh, his orientation. It turns all the way upside down to go along with him. And it from this point on, things are just completely upside down.
1: It's literally li- literally goes upside down. Yeah, yeah. It is
0: a cool shot. It is, and you don't get a lot of uh, directors and cinematographers who would do something like that because it's so disorienting to the audience, and they make it worth
1: it. It's also a hard maneuver to do without, you know, having a rig, or you yeah. have to be very careful to not drop your fucking camera.
0: <laughs> I guess. And one last thing, it's it's very minor, I just thought it was funny. It's the scene of them in inside the helicopters, and one guy notices another guy, he puts his he takes his helmet off and he starts sitting on his helmet, and he asks, What are you doing that for? And he says, Well, it's just so that my balls don't get shut off. Which makes sense. If you're up in the air and people are shooting up at you and it penetrates the bottom of the helicopter, Sure enough, it's going to hit your balls or your ass or whatever. That
1: is your most vulnerable spot right. for your situation. When you are
0: inside of a helicopter, yeah, yes.
1: You might get shot, but it would be better to be shot other places. Indeed. Then you can go home and you've still got your junk
0: intact. <laughs> anyway, that is all I had to talk about here, Betsy. This has been Apocalypse Now. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> because holy shit, was this a movie.
1: Oh yeah, I was fascinated the whole time. I don't know if this is gonna be one I just like throw on. I think this is probably gonna be a once every once in a while kind of movie for me. I mean for
0: me it might be one that I just
1: hop in the middle
0: of like I, I hate, like I do. I
1: hate that you do that. I don't know if we've ever talked about oh, we that have. We but have. I'm gonna bring it up again if we haven't. Trent likes to just put on movies in the middle. And then watch a little bit or and like then turn it off. Jump in a half hour
0: in or jump in with, with an hour left. I hate this.
1: <laughs> it is my least favorite thing. I have seen parts of the same movie so many times, but I've never watched it beginning to end. Or you do it with like TV series, you'll start with like the third season, episode yeah. seven, and watch a season and a half. I hate hate this about you. I love you, but I hate
0: this quirk of yours. Tell us everybody, do you do this? Do you like to piss off your partner too? I will
1: have words for you as well.
0: <laughs> Tell us about it by emailing us at neverseenitpod at gmail.com. We're going to skip emails this week because we're doing this in advance. We don't have any quite to to talk about yet. We're going to save some of our Never screaming emails for the last couple of Never screaming episodes. But we did get a comment on Blue Sky. Hey, by the way, we're on Blue Sky. Never seen it on Blue Sky.
1: New platform.
0: From our friend Sergio from Amsterdam. He sent us a comment on Blue Sky about Repo Man. He says... I believe that to understand Repo Man, you either have to be someone who knows about or experienced the early Reagan era and the ways that consumerism and politics screwed up society. This movie is a commentary about how middle class Americans lived during that time. And yeah, we did bring up some of that stuff where the the filmmakers are Saying something about the consumerism and product stuff, the labels that, that were happening all... in the in the eighties, mm-hmm. and like the the punk rock scene was like going against the the, the man, the man as it were. You, yeah, I totally get that. And one other aside, as long as we're talking about Repo Man, Emilio Estevez, of course, son of Martin Sheen. Yes. Uh, That movie came out only five years after Apocalypse Now.
1: I was sitting watching this movie because I, in my head, think Martin Sheen in this movie is a lot younger than he actually is. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, wait, how could this movie come out in 79 and then his grown ass son has a movie coming out five years later? He doesn't look old enough. Oh, well, it, part of it is because this movie was filmed earlier than I it think. It took forever
0: to film and it took forever to come out. That was the issue.
1: Yeah. But it is it is an interesting correlation there mm-hmm. because you kind of take for granted the fact that both Emilio and Charlie started acting in the early 80s. Yeah, And apparently both Emilio and Charlie were in cut scenes
0: in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Another thing that we read. It
1: exists somewhere because there's a million hours of footage.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if I will ever go back to this movie and watch the extended everything. The redux, is that the version? Well, there's a redux and there's also just extended with like 43 minutes of extra footage added in. God, I think the redux uh, version is just another Coppola pass at the edit. And that came out, oh, I don't know, about 20 years ago. It's been a while.
1: So. Yeah, I don't know if I could handle a longer version of this movie. But I think n- I could, though. But maybe it's like Lord of the Rings, where frankly, once you've seen it, you kind of don't want to go back to the theatrical cut.
0: I've heard good things about Redux, so I don't know. Maybe All we'll right. have to revisit eventually.
1: Maybe not for the podcast, though. No,
0: definitely not. Anyway. Anyway. Speaking of the podcast, you can email us, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. We've got another couple of episodes of Never Scream It, like I mentioned. We're going to cover The Fly this Sunday, and we have one more coming out right before Halloween. That's going to come from the 70s. We're not going to tell you what that is just yet. But, of course, do all the things that we normally ask you to do in this part of the, of the episode. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and now Blue Sky, of course. Find all the links in the description of the show. And, of course, if we ask you to do this every time. Go on to your favorite podcast app of choice, rate us five stars, and leave us a review. Tell your friends. It helps grow the show. But this is where I'm going to end it for my special birthday episode. Betsy got to cover Coyote Ugly for hers. (laughs) So this is very, very different. (laughs) Just a little. Uh, Wait for another six months. Betsy will have another selection for hers next year.
1: We'll see. We'll see. Yes. But
0: look forward to another episode of Never Scream It coming out this Sunday and the Sunday after that. November is also right around the corner. We don't know what the hell we're going to do about that. But until then, this has been another episode of Never Seen It. My name is trent my
1: name is betsy we'll
0: catch you next time bye